0: This is the Otaku Nate Show, episode 38, Earth Girl Arjuna, who will save the planet. Up anime fans, Otaku Nate here with another installment of the Otaku Nate Show, the anime podcast where we talk about anime that we want to talk about. Joining me this week is my boy Race.
1: How's it going, everyone? How's everyone doing
0: today? I'm doing all right myself. Uh, Going camping this week. Uh, By the time you hear this, I will have been back from uh, Watkins Glen in New York State.
1: Excellent. That sounds great. Uh, well, what I'm going to be doing is getting some, uh, getting my DJ sets together. I'm back DJing, and I'm actually pretty happy about that. Setting up a lot of goth events in my area. Also doing some streaming. Actually putting up a lot of stuff on YouTube. So if you guys have seen the links before, the YouTube page has a lot more. Tears of the Kingdom, so if you're into the Zelda and everything like that, then you will enjoy that. Been getting back into records, as well as getting some more anime DVDs, and today's subject was one of those DVDs I picked up a long time ago that I knew about, and then I had to get Nate in on this, so let's get into it, right?
0: Yes, we are going to be talking about Earth Girl Arjuna. Released in 2001 by Studio Satellite. Directed by its co-founder and Macross co-creator, Shoji Kawamori. And I just gotta say this right now. Shoji Kawamori is a living legend. Famed director, animator, mecha designer, illustrator. The dude has done it all for both anime, manga, and video games. Kawamori, of course, is not only famous for being the creator of Macross, but he was also the one who designed all the Valkyries for it, did mecha designs on things like Patlabor the movie 1 and 2, he was the director and creator for Aquarion, he directed the he directed the hidden gem of an anime movie Spring and Chaos, did design work for things like Transformers, Cyberformula GPX, he also did a lot of design work for the Armored Core. Dude's legit. And I had the pleasure of meeting him at this year's Otakon.
1: Yeah, I saw that on uh, saw that online. I thought that it was really awesome. I hear that he's a really nice guy, and I've only watched interviews from him, but it seems like he's a very humble, down to earth kind of dude.
0: Very nice guy. Although I didn't ask him about Arjuna, I uh, didn't get the chance to.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Just like at any kind of uh, any convention, they kind of cattle
0: you through. <laughs> Speaking of staff, the writer for the show was Hiroshi Onogi. He's written a couple of things, but the most noteworthy thing he wrote was that he was the one who wrote Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood.
1: And Brotherhood's the superior show, so hey, I mean we're we're on we're on track. We're on track with this so far.
0: Outside of that, he also wrote Birdie the Mighty Decode, Kakashi, the 2018 Gigagay no Kitaro series, and pretty much all of Aquarion, so. Dude's legit and has written stuff that is much better than this show.
1: Hey, 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 I'm going to change your mind about that.
0: <laughs> no, you won't. Good luck with that. So what's the premise of Earth Girl Arjuna? All right. Do you want the silly version or do you
1: want the uh, real version? Because I'll, I'll give you the silly version right now. So basically, there is this girl. She gets killed. She dies. And then she finds out from the spirits that she is, like, this reincarnated spirit that has to beat up a bunch of sandworms from Beetlejuice because they're destroying the planet. But she was already empathetic to all of the pollution of the world, and she and all of her friends try to run away from the government and a bunch of these, like, sandworms from Doom. Yeah, so they have to step unrhythmically. We'll see what happens. And also, it's like Captain Planet meets Sailor Moon. But it's uh, it's very fun, yet confusing. And then it becomes fun again. That is basically the premise.
0: So, where did you first hear about Arjuna? And what were your first impressions of it?
1: Well, okay. <clears throat> so... I it's the story as old as time, as I've told you, as I've told uh, the listeners every time. And I've told you this was actually during the twilight of my anime watching and collecting days the first time around. You know, Bondi was just putting out a lot of different stuff and you would see different names in the DVD pamphlets just a lot of different advertisements for shows. And then you'd go, Oh, okay. I'm going to see what this is about. I'm going to see this here. Then you would go to your local anime store. Well, or you'd go to your local Suncoast or media play or what have you. And then you'd pick it up and give it a shot. And then you'd figure out that's where I found out about infinite Rivius. That's where I found out about stuff like, uh, God, it's, it's all over the place where because this was like the ending days but i always like bandai's releases the domestic releases just not just because of gundam but they they had so many different releases from so many different studios that you just kind of got into it you know of course uh dot hack was released under bandai and that was i liked that show for a time and it was it was really crazy it was just really crazy it just kind of ended up being on the radar and it was a pretty short show so there was something where you would just get the first four episodes and i had the first four episodes on dvd for a while and then i just kind of forgot about it until i started collecting again and found the complete collection for a good price and then i watched it with one of my friends on discord and They really enjoyed it. And then I was like, yeah, you know, honestly, I really enjoy it. And the soundtrack was just like totally up my alley. Lots of great music in it. The visuals, I think, are pretty good. There's lots of color. There's lots of color. And I it was something that I forgot about for a while because I never initially completed it. And then it kind of like came back into the zeitgeist of my memories, just like another show that we reviewed. All of those girls and guns, Daphne and the Brilliant brilliant Blue, the anime that I said, eh, got me out of my collecting and got me out of my watching for a while because I was kind of just like, uh, you know, I could go without this for a while. <laughs> so that's where I first heard about it was just basically advertisements and just watching the first four episodes and going, OK, I really like this concept. And then kind of just dropping out of anime because I was... For the first time, collecting records just to listen to, and I had my own stereo system, and just different priorities kind of just took over. And girls, of course, you know, your teenage boy, come on.
0: I first heard about Arjuna when I collected a lot of anime magazines back in the day. I had subscriptions to both New Type USA and Anime Insider, and I... Got something from Neo Magazine. I believe it was like this Babes of Anime issue that had like a bunch of hot girls from various anime in it from like both fan art and like screen caps that they took. This is where I found out about such wonderful shows like Icky Tosin, Grenadier, and Mouse. <laughs> so
1: you weren't getting An America or did An America change into Anime Insider? I don't remember.
0: An-America had folded by that point.
1: Oh, okay. Anime Insider used to be
0: Anime Invasion, but they rebranded to Anime Insider. And then Wizard ultimately shut them down because they were actually outselling Wizard Magazine.
1: The only anime magazine I really got was uh, An-America. So if you had Anime Insider, that would have been what, later?
0: Mid-2000s.
1: Ah, mid-2000s, yeah. So I was already out by then, and... You know, you'd see America here and there.
0: Yes, one of the pages in the magazine was devoted to Arjuna. And I saw a girl who had like a magatama on her head and a bow and arrow. I didn't know much else about it. But I did hear it profiled on a few podcasts back in the day. And I heard nothing but bad things about it. The impression that I got was that it was a well-meaning but ultimately stupid show about saving the environment. I know that ANCAST did an episode about it and they just utterly trashed it.
1: Well, that's why I'm here today because the thing is, is you can find, if you can find the silver lining in anything, I think I'm the person that can do that because this show isn't that bad as what these people are saying and what you have told me these people have said. I haven't listened to any of these other podcasts myself trashing Arjuna, but it's really not that bad. It's not the biggest offender. It's not the biggest
0: sinner. I would say I have seen worse. I mean, there are some that look and sound worse than this show, but in terms of, like, overall quality, oh, man, this is, uh... I- I'm just gonna be blunt. I watched this show hoping to find something good about it and yeah you know, there are parts of it that I do like but on the whole Earth Girl Arjuna is not good. Like I tried to like it but by the end of it I'm like yeah that was kind of crappy.
1: I also I really think you told me that you watched this on Tubi. So I have it on DVD and I thought that the DVD quality was pretty decent. And there's enough, there's enough candy, there's enough DVD extras in this to really make it a decent purchase, at least for me, and at least for what I got it for initially. And I, I like the Shoji Kawamori interviews, I like the soundtrack, the colors really fit, and there is ups and downs in the quality, but I really don't think it's that bad, so I think we should just honestly get into it.
0: Alright, we'll start with the animation, as always, and I gotta say, I actually think that Arjuna looks pretty good by the standards of 2001. I say many a times, a lot of this early Digipaint stuff doesn't hold up that well, but Earth Girl Arjuna looks not terrible. In fact, I'd say that it actually looks ahead of its time.
1: It really is, and that's, like, that's where I started to talk about That's why I brought up the colors multiple times, and I'm glad that we went through the animation first because I think it's great for 2001. Uh, There's just personally when you watch it, I just really like how colorful it is. I like that the tones shift with the color in the show. And yeah, you can tell where the CG is and where it's being used, but they they were really trying to use the colors to change the tone to show off a lot of attempt to show off detail they use the colors to like just push the action there was there's a lot of good stuff going on with the animation i mean there's some stuff that you can pin pick out that you're just like yeah i really like this this is a treat
0: yeah visually this is pretty good although the video quality that i watched this on because i watched this on Tubi, it is available you're- alongside some of the other stuff that Nobody wants to license rescue like Gene Shaft and I think Dando's on there and Tenayoma Voyagers. A lot of the stuff that got dumped on home video back in the day, hoping that it would make a quick buck.
1: I have Tenayoma uh, Voyagers on DVD. (laughs) That was a uh, that was a three dollar purchase. And uh, you know what? It's that one is inoffensive to me where I'm just like, "Eh, six episodes here and done. I'm happy.
0: I thought it was four episodes.
1: Or yeah, four episodes. But either or, you know, it's it's a short enough OVA where I'm just like, I'm happy with this purchase.
0: Satellite tends to put out a lot of real high-quality animation. Even back then, they were known for their shows looking really good. A nice parallel I can draw is to another series they put out that has great animation called Heat Guy J. I'm like one of five people who actually remember that show. Wow. I... I don't,
1: uh, that one doesn't
0: ring a bell for me at all. Even with the janky CGI, though, this looks pretty damn good for its time. I also like the character designs, too. Oh, I was gonna say, yeah, I agree
1: with you with the character designs. I just think that every character is unique, and there is just good stuff about, just, I like, I like the character designs, definitely.
0: Yeah, the character designer for this show was a guy named Takahiro Kishida. And this guy is actually pretty prolific. He tends to do a lot of designs for adaptations. He was the character designer for Serial Experiments Lane. That's probably what he's best known for. He also adapted the character designs for Haikyuu, Glaipnir, both Durarara and Bakano, the Master of Mosquiton TV series, Noain, and his most recent credit was That Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime. Quite
1: the resume there, huh? really wild where this whole animation crew, the directing, the music, and animate—you know, animation itself, there there's a pedigree to
0: this show. There really is. I gotta say, the best part of this, though, isn't like a lot of the action scenes or some of the trippy visuals. It's the visuals that show off the pollution and all the bad things we're doing to the Earth. Because there's some who would just simply show basic pollution like chemicals flowing upstream or, you know, smokestacks billowing smog into the atmosphere, but they sure do get creative with how they showcase how industrialism is killing the planet. Oh, it really hammers its point home. With all the subtlety of a Triple H sledgehammer right to your temples.
1: Yeah, well... I, I think it works, but also the animation really is nice when the show needs to slow down and breathe, which there isn't much room for breathing in this show, but I really like when it looks beautiful, when they want to slow down and they want to be more positive instead of that ham-fisted, you know, style that, well, the, the ham-fisted visual storytelling that they're going with. And I think that's a huge positive for the show for me because at 13 episodes... It does get a little dicey here and there, but overall, it does put its point across. And I think that's what, because in the interviews that I watched about Arjuna with uh, Kawamori himself, that's what he wanted to do. He actually went on a trip to get inspiration for the show. That's why there's a lot of uh, Hindu themes in this show, believe it or not.
0: Yeah, we'll be talking a little bit about that when we get to the big story of the bunch. If you take nothing away from Arjuna, just let it be known that it looks pretty good for its time. It really does. Speaking of stuff that's really good, the music.
1: Yes the music is done by my girl Yoko Kano and she knocks it out of the park I mean around this time she was well let's see this would be 2001 Uh, a few years before she just got done doing brain powered cowboy bebop what other shows was she doing her resume is pretty stacked in the late 90s early 2000s and the soundtrack is just excellent here the soundtrack and the animation are like peanut butter and jelly it just feels really good together.
0: There's a lot of tribal Indian chanting on this, which really fits in with the uh, Indian mythology it incorporates in this show. It's funny because it was Kawamori who actually discovered Yoko Kano. She was mostly a composer for jingles and commercials. And when he brought her onto Macross Plus, the people weren't sure just what she could bring to the table, but
1: hey, she did it. I mean, you know... You never know the potential of a dog food jingle writer.
0: (laughs) She was co-composer on Please Save My Earth, but it was Macross Plus, which was her grand coronation.
1: And I mean, what a hell of a way to start. Uh, That is actually one of my dream cassettes is the Macross Plus soundtrack, one of the original ones. It's actually been reissued in the gray market but i love the music to macross plus and whatever you can find of it on youtube i suggest our listeners listen to both arjuna's soundtrack as well as macross plus's soundtrack because there's actually some parallels to this work here and to macross plus where there's like hard rock moments besides those she can just blend genres together seamlessly and that's what she does on this on Arjuna's soundtrack and it really works for the emotions for what these characters are are going through the scenes of pollution the scenes of beauty the ending all of the music cues are really just spot on with the animation and what they were really trying to go for
0: Once again, if you take nothing away from this anime, please be known. The soundtrack is incredible, and we encourage you to seek it out. Again, it's got Yoko Kano's name for it, and she is never not good.
1: (laughs) Uh, Like I said, I love the Brain Powered soundtrack, and uh, not to go off sequitur, but I heard that uh, you finally found a copy of it.
0: I found a copy of what? Brain Powered. That's a bridge we're going to cross for another time.
1: I hope to be a part of it, because I love that show.
0: I'll generate my own thoughts on it later. On to voice acting. Our main heroine, Juna, is voiced by Mami Higashiyama. She is not a voice actress. She is a pop singer by trade. Her most famous work outside of this show is that She was Mega Pink in Mega Ranger, which was adapted as Power Rangers in space here in America. One many fans of the franchise will tell you was the best season of Power Rangers.
1: I personally wouldn't know. I was checked out of Power Rangers by Power Rangers Turbo. I just got a little too old for it. And, you know, there's a there's a man with a flying spaceship and a fedora and a gun. They call him the Lightbringer. And he can tell you all about the history of
0: Power Rangers. As for her friend Tokio, he is voiced by none other than Tomokazu Seki. I've gone over Tomokazu Seki a couple of times. He's Domonkashu in G Gundam, Sosuke in Full Metal Panic, Shinya Kogami in Psycho Pass, and Gilgamesh in the Fate series, among many other roles in his star-studded resume. The Avatar of Time, Chris, is voiced by Yuji Ueda most famous for being Senosuke in Rurouni Kenshin, Keitaru Urshima in Love Hina, Jean Havoc in Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood, Johannes Krauser II in Detroit Metal City, he is Brock in Pokemon, and for video game roles, he is the current voice of Blanca in Street Fighter, John Talbane in the Darkstalkers series, and both Kenji Maeda and Kojiro Sasaki in Samurai Warriors. His caretaker Cindy is voiced by Mayumi Shintani. We've actually covered her already on the show. She was Rika Domeki in Die Guard, and you can hear her as Rika's Mom in Gridman, Haruhara Haruko in Furikuri, and Nonon in Kill la Kill. NANI sore? Teresa Wong, the main agent of Seed, is voiced by Yoko Somi. She's best known as Olivier Armstrong in Fulmata Alchemist Brotherhood. You can also hear her as Atsuko Urameshi in Yu Yu Hakusho, Caroline in Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust, Karen Kasumi in X, and for all you people who remember this show, Seikechi Tayama in O80 Rocket. As for the dub... This was done by Ocean Studios. We talked a little bit about Ocean back when I did my Future Boy Conan review, which, by the way, their dub for Conan was really good in case you didn't hear that episode. But on the whole, I have mixed feelings about Ocean. Not necessarily their actors, they're fine. Ocean's issues have always come from their direction. If you see the name Carl Willems or James Corrigal in the credits, you're probably going to get a good dub. Most of the time, though, the rest of their dubs are hit or miss. And this dub, I think, hits in the middle for me. Not the worst they've done, and I can say that their track record is better than their brethren in Calgary at Blue Water Productions, but I just found this dub to be... eh. This, this
1: dub, I watched the English dub first over anything before I went with the Japanese dub or, you know, the the original Japanese. The original Japanese cast, I have a hard time really, like, putting the names to the voices. After a while, I think, you know, you get used to it when you really look up the cast, but isn't that a stacked Japanese voice cast? Most of the time it is. Yeah, usually it is, but uh, when it comes to this English cast, though, there's no slouch here. We have Maggie O'Hara and uh, Brad Swale as two of our biggest uh, names on this, or at least the names that I recognize that are pretty big. Of course, we love Brad Swale and Maggie O'Hara. I always felt like she was hit or miss because I don't know. She sounded she always she always sounds either very sleepy or she just goes with that basic like ditzy anime girl kind of thing. Like the, she she is definitely, I would say Maggie O'Hara, no offense to her, is the poster child for the uh ditzy anime girl trope that everyone thinks that English dubs always have that they used to have.
0: You said that she sounded sleepy. I hate to call anyone out, but I didn't care for her as Juna. She's just sort of lacking that energy for playing a girl who's supposed to be like passionate and has stars in her eyes like Arjuna.
1: Right. And that's what I said, where there are times where she's sleepy or just in the English dub where she just doesn't exactly emote well enough. There are times where Brad is right on. But like Brad is when you get into that first episode, Brad is sort of that serious voice that we get. And it just always makes me laugh because uh, the English Amro always made me laugh when he tried to get serious and not whiny. <laughs>
0: If you want to hear Brad being serious, just go and watch the dub for Black Lagoon.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) He He did a a great job being serious there. I recognized his voice right away, and I thought, well, you know, whether this dub are good or bad, I can always tell Brad Swale ain't gonna mail it in. No,
1: no, and a good amount of this cast kind of does, sadly. I think Andrew
0: Francis did a good job as Tokyo.
1: No, no, no. I I think so, but I'm just saying, no, 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 like not all of it was was terrible. It's a very middling dub. There are there are moments of greatness where they really do try to capture the emotion. But I have never watched the original Japanese until this review just to kind of see where it was like And definitely, I would say the original Japanese is much more animated. If you prefer subs over dubs, then there's another reason to watch the show. I got you three. I got you for three. Nate, I got you for
0: three. Well, usually, sound and animation are one thing. What really sells a show for me are its characters and the story. And, ugh, this show is a mess. <laughs>
1: oh, I don't think so. I don't
0: think so. Well, uh, let's start off at the core of Arjuna. Now, Earth Girl Arjuna as we've talked about, is a show that's all about saving the environment. That's easy. There's a lot of shows out there that talk about saving the environment. Some do it better than others. And I can think of a dozen examples off the top of my head. And I can already say that Shoji Kawamori's intentions were noble. Race, you talked about this, but... Mori went on a business trip to India, and he was appalled by all of the pollution that was going on in the developing world. I Remember, India is still a developing nation, even though they do have a high GDP for their country.
1: Right. Uh, also, another thing, too, that he was talking about in his interview, outside of going on his business trip to India, he was mainly doing it for research, but also he brought up that it was like half vacation. You know, because he was doing it on the company's dime. Uh, He also brought up, like, pollution in Japan being a very big deal, and it still is a big deal. And that was also another one of his reasons for really creating Arjuna was just, like, the pollution that he saw all around him. And he was compelled to create Arjuna because of that.
0: Mercy, mercy me, as uh, Marvin Gaye would say.
1: But there's a couple of other things, too, that we'll be bringing up that uh, if you want to ask me about the interviews that he did with Arjuna, uh, we'll have to talk about the interviews themselves because it's a very hilarious juxtaposition.
0: Yeah, but I unfortunately don't have access to these interviews, at least I didn't check YouTube for them. But if there's any reason to get your hands on the DVDs, it's for the interviews with Shoji Kawamori.
1: Also, Brad Swale and Maggie O'Hara are a part of the interviews as well. There, there's some other stuff. There's also an Arjuna dictionary that really, like, helps out with lore and actually does put everything together.
0: Now, one speculation that I heard about Arjuna was that one of the reasons why Kawamori made this show or one idea that was floated because of how the show presents itself is that Kawamori was, like, in some sort of cult... Really? Yeah, like he was a part of that happy science cult that put out that film, The Laws of the Universe. As far as I know, that is not true. It seems to me that with how Earthgirl Arjuna is presented and how its cuts and animation are edited, it seems like he watched videos that were put out by various cults to get an idea as to how he wanted the show to be edited.
1: And that would honestly make sense and feel that way. That's really interesting. I actually never never looked that up because, you know, of course, that's never brought up. And you're always the guy with the research. I'm the guy with the colored commentary. When he did the interviews, he 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 really was behind it. These interviews were done in 2002 at a convention. I uh, forget exactly which convention. I think it was in California.
0: It sounds and, like it's Anime Expo or Anime LA. And... Uh, anime expo or anime la i'm actually going to take a look real quick i actually have the way that cults use propaganda is that they just shove it right in your face and boy oh boy is kawamori not subtle about how humans are bad and we are polluting the environment there's a lot of close-up shots of pollution in the bays of tokyo there's long montages of how we're polluting the earth through industry and all that stuff. There's a lot of ominous music composed by Yoko Kano over montages of said pollution, and it hits with all the subtlety of a brick to the face.
1: Okay, so Anime Expo 2002 in Long Beach. So yeah, you had you you hit it right in there, right on the head. Yes! Um I <laughs> yeah. Uh this is Personally, this is what I have to say with, like, how they really put a lot of, I guess, the themes together. The themes are very ham-fisted. I think if, if he would have lightened up a little bit, I think you would have liked the show a little more. With the with how—I don't think its a I don't think there's a lot of, like, propaganda, cult-ish propaganda, but— a lot of that stuff was going through the media in the late you know in the 90s and the early 2000s in fact my aunt was a scientologist in the 80s that's how that's how they get you yeah <laughs> so before she became a born again christian she was a scientologist and she will tell you like that literature and the movies that they show you and the star power behind all of these cults and all of these uh fringe groups it's it's really there and that's very interesting that you bring that up that you would say like it's edited like a uh like a propaganda piece but also in japanese media hasn't there been a lot of propaganda pieces as well and especially in america too i mean all over the world has their propaganda pieces i would probably say that kawamori really. What I get from the show and what I get from his interviews is that he was very passionate about something, but subliminally used a lot of uh, the same tactics that a propaganda editing would do. Because he also talks about in his interviews, and this is probably another thing, that he, when he was coming up with the gear walks, he initially came up with the Gearwalks in like 1980, he was saying, and uh, he was joking about the fact that the ATSD in Return of the Jedi was out like, you know, in one of the forefront mechs. And he went, oh, I have the Gearwalk. I can never put this out. And thank God he did. But he was kind of talking about that there was derivatives and it's a it's a, not a psychosomatic, but it's something that already exists what is that what is that so it's like uh something that exists that you think that is a new idea something that exists and uh you think it's let me look that up real quick it's a new idea and there's a word for it mark twain has brought this up before and you have to excuse me listeners but so there, there is this word, and, I'm, and it's racking my brain right now, but there's, you know, when something exists already, but you think it's a new idea, Kawamori brought that up multiple times in his creation process. And even with Arjuna, he was thinking of things and going, oh, that already exists, oh, that already exists. And so he just kind of, like, brought that up as a matter of fact, and I forget that. I gotta look up that word real quick.
0: I will give Kawamori credence for one thing. He really thought that he was doing something here. And as you said, from what I can gather, from what you've told me, in all of these interviews, Kawamori was really passionate about this project. Like, this was his baby. He took ownership of this idea, and you know, Kawamori, I'm sure you liked it, but for a lot of us... And this goes from people on all ends of the political spectrum, from the more conservative types to even the most bleeding heart environmentalists who will say, yeah, this show is just not good. And I think a part of it isn't its environmental message, it's how its environmental message is delivered, because boy, oh boy, this thing is so ham fisted.
1: It is. It's, it's kind of like when I was a kid, I thought Captain Planet was pretty bad. But, you know, when I watch Arjuna, and I think I'm more of an emotionally adjusted adult that I can handle a lot of this, a lot of this stuff. Yeah, the later episodes of Arjuna really do get very ham-fisted and a little bit early on. But they, I do like that they kind of, they, they soften you into it before it gets really bad. Like, there are flashes... Of a lot of the more explicit moments and a lot more of the... A, a lot more of the disturbing moments of the show as well. But I like that you're eased into it. Honestly, that's that's what I'm going to give the show the show credit for as well. Is that you're eased into it. They don't shock you into it right away. And you have to like pick up the pieces and recover. You know?
0: I will agree with you there, Race. I don't think Arjuna gets off on the wrong foot. I think having Juna dying in the first episode only to be reborn, that Hindi mythology that Kawamori brings to it, I think it's actually rather inspired. Juna's name and the show's name Arjuna is derived from the Hindu figure of Arjun, one of the five Pandava brothers from the Mahabharata. I don't know much about him or the work other than he used a bow and arrow. And thus, Juna's main weapon in fighting the Raja, who are these parasitic worms that feed off of pollution, is a bow and arrow. And in that regard, given the show's high budget and rather dynamic action scenes at points, you could say that this is a precursor to what some on Twitter call the Action Magical Girl Show three years before the holy Trinity of Hime, Nanaha and pretty cure came around but there's a reason why people don't remember Arjuna in that it really failed to make an impact on both sides of the pond
1: I do think that it's admirable though that they really did try to bring over the show I mean it it had a it had a small advertisement uh run of course we both remember it from back in the day and like i said with me really being an anime in the late 90s and knowing about it then and uh, it coming out thanks to bondi and stuff it, they they tried with it um but not everything caught on of course you know there's there's still a lot of stuff to this day that you find in bargain bins or you find in flea markets that you go huh what is this why didn't this catch on And you think that this show would have caught on, but I think back then, unless you were really deep into the stuff and you were looking for particular directors, which some people were, they probably wouldn't have even thought of this show.
0: Juna's biggest problems to me, though, it has good ideas and good intentions, but how it handles its environmentalism, I talked about how ham-fisted it is. A lot of its issues stem from its dialogue because the dialogue is extremely clunky. Everyone in this show speaks in platitudes. That that is
1: a very annoying part about this show as well. I will give it to you there. The the dialogue is very clunky. It's a lot of it is platitudes. It almost feels like the early Star Wars dialogue. Was it before Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford kind of got on George Lucas's ass during the original Star Wars? I don't know if you ever heard about that, but there was interviews with Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford where it's just they remember lines that they had to say that were just platitudes. And they were like, "Uh, people don't speak like this. We should change that. And then they kind of bullied George about it. And because of that, that's why we have Star Wars. <laughs> Speaking of Star Wars and
0: taking it back to Shoji Kawamori and his huge influence with, uh, from Star Wars. It's very much like being lectured by your college ecosystem professor. Constantly talking about how human beings are destroying the environment through things like petrochemicals, wasting food, hamburgers, and abortion. Absolutely. It, it really it,
1: I, w- I would say this kind of the dialogue actually more it doesn't really come off like from a professor. It comes off more of your pseudo intellectual classmate who is finding the uh, trend of the week. And environmentalism happened to be the trend of the week and you have to deal with this person and they are always in your face about it. That's what I would say. It's like the pseudo intellectual classmate that you have that is very passionate about something, but doesn't know how to express themselves well enough, except for what they have already been fed.
0: The whole monologue about how burgers are made nowadays with all the hormones and the chemicals and the feed and how cows are raised and treated and slaughtered and processed. I really wanted somebody to walk up to these two and say, sir, this is a Wendy's. Well, fun fact, but going back and talking
1: about the PTSD hamburger episode, which oh, is Oh God, one. I
0: wanted to bring that up because...
1: I'm going to I have something to start off this conversation. So when they were working on this show and they got it to this episode, Shoji Kawamori actually brought up in his uh, brought up in his trip to India that he got Deli Belly. And I don't know if you guys know what Deli Belly is. That's uh, when you get sick off of uh, just how food is prepared over in India, Uh, street food mainly. (laughs) but he got sick because he was trying to he was eating a lot of rice and curry because he wanted to go vegetarian. He wanted to practice what he preached and he couldn't do it. And so to settle his stomach, he was drinking a lot of yogurt drinks. And, you know, the his his host house was like, don't drink all those yogurt drinks. You're still going to get sick. And boy, howdy, did he get sick? So he was talking about how he got, you know, just dealing with a lot of his trip going bathroom trips. And another thing that he brought up, too, was when they were working on the hamburger episode, uh, the interviewer asked, did people become vegetarian that you were working with because of this episode? And he said, no, it did quite the opposite. It actually made people eat more. It actually made the people who were working on this show like, eat more hamburgers just despite calamari." But he wasn't a vegetarian himself. It was one of those things that they were just kind of in his face about it. And he said that... Uh, one of the producers was just like, you know, buying more hamburgers and eating them in front of him just to spite him.
0: Oh, man. When (laughs) even your co-workers are tired of your bullshit.
1: But he got a good laugh about it. He seems like he was a really good sport. But I thought that that was a hilarious part of the interview. Like, But like I said, he had a really good sense of humor about it. Yeah, he ate curry and other food too much, and he drank a lot of Lassie. Lassi,
0: yep.
1: Like, yeah, that the would, dog? That's... <laughs> no, that's the uh, type of yogurt drink that they have in India. I've had lassi before. Oh, yeah, producer Sato, uh, he actually came to India. So the story goes that that he was hanging out with uh, Sato. He couldn't be a vegetarian. Yeah, he couldn't live the vegetarian life. So Sato wasn't the guy who was eating the hamburgers and just kind of out of spite. He had to eat chicken. He was, like, tired of being, you know, a vegetarian, trying it with kawamori, and seeing kawamori gets stomach aches all the time. (laughs) But also, it's just, you know, he went over there, too, and speaking of the story and how ham-fisted it was, he really got into the research. He also got, uh, spoke with telepaths and, you know, spiritual healers, got massages, acupunctures, did the whole... Uh, kit
0: and Kaboodle to really research for the mythology. Hearing but yeah, hearing all of this when he talked about spiritualists and other environmentalist groups getting massages, I can suddenly see why people believe Kawamori was in a cult when he made this.
1: So the hamburger episode where they bring it up, yeah, it was uh, Ijima, Mr. Ijima from Bandai Visual, and he was actually the person who was like, Eating more hamburgers just to spite him. I don't blame him. And it's really interesting because in this interview too, after the show was done, this interview was done in 2002, he really does say that the directing style that he did was very propaganda based and he does confirm it. He does say like, yeah, there's a lot of subliminal messages in there and I did that on purpose, but he has good humor about it. It's very strange. He seems like a way too positive guy for his own good sometimes.
0: You know, the, I'm, I'm glad at least that he admitted to it. I can only imagine Kawamori reenacting that one scene from the Gary Takes a Bath episode of SpongeBob SquarePants where he's standing before the crew and saying, I am now going to assault your mind with subliminal messages. Hey, your SpongeBob's pretty good. But getting back to the dialogue, it is so clunky and so lecture-based that there were times where I was pining for the sweet release of the dreaded Joss Whedon quippy millennial dialogue. Like, your dialogue has to be really bad in order for me to wish for the sweet release of Joss Whedon writing. (laughs) Or CW writing, too. Like the whole scene where she's with her math teacher and he just keeps asking rhetorical questions of why humans resort to modern day conveniences because it's easier. That's just one big, okay, I get it, Kawamori-san. We rely too much on convenience. We need to reject
2: modernity and return to monk. If you look in the grocery stores, They only have perfectly straight cucumbers and perfectly red tomatoes and vegetables that are all the same size. Why is that?
3: Because it's easier to transport.
2: Supermarkets throw away tons of expired prepackaged food and bento boxes. Why is that?
3: Because it's easier to check inventory.
2: A child is doing his best to do up a button on his shirt by himself. But the parent gets impatient and tells him to put on a t-shirt instead. Why is that?
3: Because it's easier for the parent.
2: You can buy classic novels at a used bookstore for a few bucks, but people use the Internet. Why?
3: Because it's easier to find the answers.
2: Even if a student can't keep up with the class, the teacher has to barrel through the material according to the curriculum. Why?
3: Because it's easier on the teacher.
2: Even though every customer who walks into a fast food restaurant is different, the staff will deal with the customer according to the manual. Why is that?
3: Uh, because then you know what to expect and it's easier.
2: A student chooses not to think for herself, but always asks the teacher to give the answers. Why?
3: Uh, because then it's easier for the student.
2: When you could arrange to meet and speak directly to someone, you still choose to use your cell phone instead. Why?
3: Because it's easier not to meet in person.
2: People rely on mass media propaganda machines to inform them about the world. Why is that?
3: Because it's easier to read the paper than do your own investigating.
2: Most schools shove children into same age groups and cram the same curriculum into their brains over and over. Why?
3: Because it's easier on the teacher that way.
2: You answer all the questions I ask with the same response. Why is that?
3: Because it's easier to answer them that way.
1: (gasps) And, you know, like I said, we'll have to uh, take some time so we can watch these interviews after the fact. Because uh, I'd like to show you and kind of get your opinion on them. It's really interesting that he has all of just all of these characters. Just the dialogue is very fragmented in, in platitudes as well as just basically just lots of information in a short amount of time. It's like people don't naturally speak this way. And we know Kawamori ha- does better. We know he writes better. We know who he hires writers that do better. But here, yeah, there's I, I will give you that. So one point definitely for you, and the dialogue is really rough when they when the English voice actors are really trying their best to just either not corpse while reading these lines or they are just bored,
0: you know, bored to death. And another point that I have against Earth Girl Arjuna None of the characters in this show are particularly likable. They're not. I cannot think of one off the top of my head that I would look at and say, you know what, that one was pretty good because they're all pretty bad. Juna, she is just extremely pathetic. Nothing about Juna is relatable. She doesn't really undergo an arc that makes any sort of sense. She doesn't seem to learn any sort of greater lesson. She provides nothing to the story. She merely exists just to propel the show's message. She's a naive girl who doesn't know any better.
1: Yeah, that's that's basically her character in a nutshell. I would say the best character is honestly Chris Hawken. And there's still a lot to dislike about him too.
0: Oh God, let's let's go to the avatar of time because what is Chris supposed to be exactly? He's supposed to be the
1: avatar of time. We don't we don't explain it. We don't <laughs> care. Um, it's it's kind of like how in Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which most of our listeners, I'm sure, have played it through it already we don't care that zelda is the sage of time we just know that she is and she just does stuff when when you're like an avatar or sage of time you just do stuff for the sake of doing stuff
0: this just occurred to me now since we're going to make this comparison a lot chris is an even lamer captain planet because at least captain planet was a hero who was gonna take pollution down to zero Chris is a wheelchair-bound, quadriplegic, question mark, who gets pushed around by his annoying girlfriend. Hey, l- listen, that guy, listen, Chris Hawken is a pimp, okay?
1: That man That man. That man is a pimp, okay? He, he definitely was ready to take a bunch of Arjuna's arrows when she started to freak out, or at least when, in the English version, when Maggie O'Hara wasn't as sleepy as Arjuna <laughs> getting all freaking out, you know?
0: It's another point I want to make, like, you think that Juna's goal is to destroy the Raja and restore tranquility and cleanliness to the environment, but Chris constantly stops her and gets in her way, and I just go and I look at this and I'm like, well, are you supposed to destroy the Raja, or are you supposed to make friends with them? Getting mixed signals here, Chris.
1: And that's the thing about Chris's character and why I think that some people wouldn't really like this show. I kind of like the idea that Arjuna is supposed to save the planet, but at the same time, Chris is there to kind of say, well, everything like time is a cycle. Time goes through a loop. And I kind of like that. I kind of actually enjoy his character, but also hate his character because he's sort of a guy that he what's the best way to put it you know if you're the avatar of time you definitely know what's going to go on in the future you definitely know what's going to go on in the past I mean you can go anywhere at any time and just see what's going to happen there it is very mixed and I don't think that they do it as well as other time but you know time travel and any time that you play with time you're going to have issues. You're always going to have issues. There's always going to be a bunch of holes and I can definitely see where people are turned off by the show because of that aspect. But I do like that there is contention within Juna and Chris and it does work. I think that that's an aspect of the show that does work because Chris plays like a tweener and we kind of need that in that show. You know, Chris works as a, as a tweener. I mean, that's just kind of like a point. It does add some contention, I think. And it, I, I overall think it works, but that's that's why I love and hate that character at the same time in this show. And it, it just, I don't know, it's, it's really, I like their dynamic in a way. Are we supposed to help the Raja? Or are we supposed to destroy them? And it's, it is very mixed. And I would see, like, I definitely see you being upset with that because usually when you have an antagonist, you should never sympathize with an antagonist in a way, right?
0: I like cool villains or villains that are unquestionably evil but still have a certain charm to them, but considering that the Raja are supposed to be monsters, I say, kill the bastards. I like the concept in the show overall, even
1: even when Seed is kind of like sympathizing to the monsters and, and kind of understanding that it's like a whole circle of life and it's, it's weird to say, but I think that that's an aspect that works and sure. The show really has like, that's very ham fisted environmental themes, but I kind of like where they just, and it's like a lot of the works of Kawamori where you get to see both sides of the story and then go, ah, I mean, even if it is monsters, I mean, that's kind of, it's a, it's a Kawamori trope, but I think it works in a way here, somewhat in a way. Like, the circle of life, you know, the the passage of time. Time moves forward no matter what. You know, you can't uh, fix uh,
0: irrepensible damage. Do we even want to discuss the purpose of SEED and their characters? By the way, I think it's funny that we're using SEED as an acronym two years before Gundam did it. But also, I would have to say
1: that Final Fantasy VIII also had a SEED as well.
0: What is it with the Japanese and that acronym?
1: i have no idea i think that maybe like they think of uh they definitely think of seeds as a i i uh, from a story standpoint or a standpoint not exactly a story standpoint but maybe a I I would probably say from a lore standpoint and and a metaphorical standpoint probably seeds means new beginnings in a way or beginning a beginning
0: I get that, especially when you consider that Seed was basically meant to be a modern retelling of the original 0079 series, but yeah, seeds, you plant seeds, they give new life, so that makes sense here, but to me their whole subplot is just completely uninteresting. And yeah, the- they they are
1: definitely underutilized, and I feel like they get in the main character's ways more than not. And also, but I like that they are kind of incompetent because it, this is Kawamori, once again, giving the middle finger to the government and showing the incompetence of the government because that's a lot of, like, that is really one of the big things that he does put into a lot of his shows, if you really think about it. He really does, like, they're... Lots of middle fingers to the government and their incompetence.
0: I don't like environmental shows that complain about how the government bears responsibility for the pollutions and then subsequently tells them to do something. Maybe it's my own internal politics talking, but there is no bigger polluter on Earth than the government. Never forget, the number one polluter on Earth is the Pentagon!
1: Absolutely, but I, I kind of find that sort of like a big middle finger and an in-joke about how, how Seed is just sort of they're realizing the issues and the problems, and they're trying to do something about it. There's aspects of the show that I really think that works. I mean, we have talked about the character i think that the two important most important characters are definitely chris and juna even though juna is just basically a stupid naive girl uh tokyo is just basically the very doting boyfriend friend that does whatever juna wants and is tokyo tries to be like the audience you know that 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 i the audience the audience point of view and i don't think he's a very good character for that
0: I wrote down that he's basically Goofus from Goofus and Gallant in the old highlights magazines.
1: He's and he's both Goofus and Gallant at the same time. <laughs> That's just like how he operates. It's it's pretty it's pretty interesting. I I don't think like he is a very interesting character overall just because he kind of just does whatever the other characters want. Or not want well the wants, but he just does whatever the other characters want. And he is the one, like I said, you know, he's sort of that audience point of view. He
0: he cares about the environment as much as the viewer does.
1: Yeah. And I. but then again, it does work. But also at the same time, it just kind of.
0: He's just not likable.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. All the
0: characters in this show are so unlikable. But I mean, I got
1: through it, you know, after after a few viewings of this show, I would definitely say the English voice cast is fun to listen to because of the few names. But the Japanese voice cast, I think it does. I think it does it better.
0: Oh, no, I'm, I'm, a little more I would never. It. Oh, no, I would never knock this show for its production. It is a visual and audio treat. It's just that when it comes to its greater message, and you'll probably disagree with me on this here. The problem is that Arjuna, even ignoring everything, is that it's a feel-bad show. Earth Girl Arjuna is a series that tells you that you're destroying the environment and there ain't a damn thing you can do about it.
1: You know, sometimes you just need those feel-bad shows to feel good. I mean, listen here, I'm gonna tell you, I'm a Smiths fan, (laughs) And it just works that same way. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a band. I'm a fan of a lot of uh, political oi bands that make you feel bad about uh, liking the things that you like. And also, you know, like uh, Riot girl bands and things like that. So sometimes it's just you got to have that feel bad media to feel good in a way. Because you can always kind of like look at yourself from the outside in and go, at least I'm not that bad it helps with the internet these days where you can kind of look from the outside in and go, Hey, at least I'm not that bad. I, I take that. I have to disagree with you when it comes to feel bad media, like overall, like the day after that's another feel bad media. That was the like a anti nuke movie with Steve Gutenberg and who else was in that John Lithgow. I don't think you've ever, have you ever seen that one? Um, I have not. Okay, so The Day After is kind of like a lot of that same concept as Zarjuna. Oddly enough, we're taking 80s media into account now. But that movie was like a cautionary tale. I don't say it, this is a feel-bad media. This is more a cautionary tale of there's not a damn thing you can do about it, but there are ways to slow down the progress. And making people aware, and awareness I think is like a bigger tool than you, you know some people would like to even think of you know but i i do like the show the show does it does its best to overall try to make you aware at the end of the day and i will agree that it is ham-fisted that the dialogue is clunky but i will disagree that it's not a feel bad show it's just it's in a way like a cautionary tale you know there's a lot of uh media in the 1980s that i absolutely love that technically would be considered as well feel bad media but it just i don't know it makes me feel good because these creators are passionate about something and i think even uh kawamori himself does take it with a grain of salt and in these interviews once you watch them yourself you'll kind of see okay this was something that he definitely believed in and something that he was passionate about but at the same time he takes it with a grain of salt and takes it with a smile and kind of says, well, you know, this is a story that I wanted to tell. This is something, you know, we have to be careful of.
0: And I get that. The problem is is that Kawamori, with how everything is, the imagery, the subjects covered, the lecturing dialogue, it feels very much like Kawamori is feeling extremely pessimistic. Like, everything that he took in when he was making this show just led him down to a very dark place. And it feels like he felt that humanity didn't have that much longer, that what we're doing to the planet is irreversible. I don't exaggerate when I say that I would rather watch an episode of Captain Planet than Arjuna. (laughs) Because, yeah, Captain Planet sucks too, but you can have fun with Captain Planet.
1: In my personal opinion, I when it comes to like pessimistic, uh, well, you know, creators that are pessimistic or can be pessimistic with some of their most famous works, in my personal opinion, I this is kind of how I take it. I take it with a grain of salt. I mean, you know, he seems like he's a very positive guy. And sometimes you can just, if you want, I mean, we're going to think about one of my favorite creators and one of yours, Yoshiyuki Tomino. Sometimes he'll just create a show just for death marches.
0: Well, the thing is, you can have fun with Tomino as well, good or bad. And you can have fun with Kawamori, though. Yeah, but the problem is that Arjuna, to me, is just no fun. Like, there's nothing really that you can laugh at in this show. It's just oppressively depressing at points. And at least Captain Planet had villains that were fun with how cheesy they were. I mean... Captain Planet has Duke Nukem. No, not that Duke Nukem, the other Duke Nukem.
1: And you know, I going back to talking about What was I going to say? Going back to Captain Planet, here's another thing, too, that I was thinking about. Remember those uh, old commercials? I think you might be a little young for them, but they played those commercials well into the 90s. The crying Native American on the side of the road.
0: Oh, you mean the crying Italian who was dressed up like an Indian?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the crying Native American commercials, when we go back to Feel Bad Media. Arjuna can feel like that at times, absolutely. I agree with you there, but... I'll have to say, you know, I I like the messages and I'm the kind of person that can really like take a message with a grain of salt, even if it's super extreme. I mean, I I am not very religious myself and I live in a household full of very re- religious people. You think that I would have drank the Kool-Aid, but not by now. But I haven't. So, like I said, I can I can take storytelling. I can take anything that's even ham fisted and kind of. Find my own conclusions to it. Find my own way. And I don't really knock anyone for it. You know, you can have your own beliefs and you can definitely be creative with them. And I never found out the word, but there is a a thought of a school of thought where you remember something as being an original idea but it's not it was something that existed i forget the name of it but uh it's a psychological phrase it's it's uh it's very interesting but yeah going back to arjuna and we didn't even get into the childbirth or life episode oh god like I, I i i want
0: to talk about that i don't want to wade into the subject of abortion but i do want to say this i hinted at this earlier earth girl arjuna has the single most disgusting scene i have ever seen in an anime at least not in a hentai, but I don't watch hentai. There is a scene where a child is being born and there are plenty of anime that show children being born, but it's usually done off camera. Like we just see the woman struggling to give birth and then it like dips to white or fades to black. Or like we just see the baby crying in the arms of the doctor, not here. They show you the shot of the baby coming right out of the womb, sliding out of there with, like, whatever the machine they use to pull it out, and with its umbilical cord, I may add. Well, I'm going
1: to tell you one thing, okay? The miracle of life is beautiful, but also, at the same time, I don't think you've ever watched any uh, abortion films, have you? No, no. I have. And I'm going to tell you that. uh, Please don't. I I actually, because of the thing is that I do have some uh, medical training and everything like that, as well as being certified in first aid, CPR, all of that. And also going and growing up in a Christian school, we did have to actually watch uh, videos with live abortions and talking about we had like a right to life uh, group and everything like that. So yeah, I've seen it in childbirth, I think is a wonderful and beautiful thing. And I was not offended by that episode. Like you were, (laughs) I don't
0: think it was the message. It was just that scene that offended me.
1: I, I thought nothing of it because I, you know, the BBC miracle of life, I've seen it and it doesn't, you know, when I was younger, the abortion, footage was very disturbing and it and it is um, a very interesting I am pro-choice personally but it's that I would have to say I don't look that up Nate I don't I don't want you having nightmares for months I don't want to send you a teddy bear my friend <laughs> here here is here is a teddy bear to help you this
0: but is I, I... It, it was just one of those I really wish that I didn't see that kind of moments.
1: Uh, That's understandable, but I think that it was a part of the overall theme about talking about life itself, and I think that using the human childbirth as a metaphor for just life itself, I think Kawamori and the rest of the team were trying to drive home that, like, I mean, you know, how would you feel if you saw a live cowbirth in anime form that was, have you ever seen a live cowbirth? I've seen a pig give birth. It's it's kind of the same thing. And, and the same thing with like uh, horses or giraffes giving birth. That like animal birth itself is a very interesting concept. I mean, but they wouldn't have been able to really drive the point home about how life is important uh, when it comes to like asexual reproduction, sexual reproduction, uh, the miracle of life itself and how life is precious. That does help, I think, drive home the point. But yes, it was ham fisted, but using a human birth, I think they wanted the audience to feel something for it. And as maybe unsuccessful as it has been. But I think a lot of people and especially in the interview where they talk about they, they talk about more about the PTSD hamburger moment Then they actually ask about the childbirth moment. I think the most memorable part of the show, if people decide to watch this, which I do suggest because it's only 13 episodes and it's inoffensive at the end of the day, um, you're going to get a laugh out of the PTSD hamburger.
0: Oh, yeah, that that, that's just like, again, Kawamori really thought he was doing something here. I do like that he named the fictional burger joint American Burger as opposed to just doing the old McRonald's, Wickdonald's, or my favorite McDonald's take on anime, McDaniels. McDaniels was uh, Megazone 23, right? Uh, No, Megazone actually had the real thing. McDaniel comes from Gundam.
1: That's right. McDaniels was Gundam. Because I always, you know, Megazone 23 and everything, remember folks- My brain has
0: holes in it. Thanks, alcohol. If I could go back once again to Captain Planet, it's very easy to dunk on Linkara nowadays, especially after the whole Oni plays fiasco. But there is something that resonated with me that he said about Captain Planet. And I'm not going to do the voice, but I will say, I hate this show that tries to educate me while I'm trying to enjoy my cartoons. I really hate people trying to tell me how I'm destroying the planet simply by existing and preaching about the environment on and on and on like an Al Gore speech, except less funny. That's pretty much how I feel about Arjuna.
1: I think that it, I th- overall, I think that Arjuna does have its merits at the end of the day. And even if this, uh, even if the message isn't for you, Nate, I mean, some of our some of our listeners might give this show a chance for themselves and really resonate with it or they might find their own fun and sometimes when you watch a show you have to find
0: your own fun considering that even some of the most bleeding heart people i can think of don't like this show i think it's really saying something i really think it says something about this show and how it's like presented and all that I mean, I guess we should move to final thoughts because do we want to talk about how the show ends? Because honestly, I think there are some good ideas in this ending because I think what Arjuna should have been is that it shows a place where earth has become so polluted and so uninhabitable that people are like forced to live in primitive times Juna is meant to be this light of hope for the world. That she travels the world restoring beauty to everything. But with how Kawamori presents it here, it's just... No. Like, what even was the point of this ending? That the Earth needs to die in order to be reborn? I mean, Hayao Miyazaki is also heavy-handed with his environmentalist messaging. But Miyazaki comes off as being optimistic with how he talks about the environment. That the same people who are destroying the environment are just as capable as saving it. Look at future boy Conan. Look at Nausicaa. Look at Princess Mononoke. Not pompoko That was Isao Takahata. In here, it's just... It doesn't feel like there's any hope that's I, present in the narrative. But i
1: like i like that ending i like it i sometimes like a bad ending i mean i am a fallout fan since the beginning and sometimes you have that bad ending um sometimes you don't do things right sometimes no matter what you do and i think it's a very realistic ending and i think that it's good i think that even though you have that avatar of time Uh, that tried to stop things at the end of the day, Chris knew it was unpreventable. And I liked that about the ending. I thought that the ending was very well done in my personal opinion. It it, it, Because even though all the wackiness, the death marches we have, the, the aspects where you are forced to feel bad, you feel guilty, I like the I like the idea of the ending because I think it's a very bold and strong ending to a show that does kind of have a really rough middle. It's like like I said, the music and the animation go together like peanut butter and jelly. You think you're getting smooth peanut butter, but you're right. You bite right in the middle and you get the peanut butter with the shell with like you get peanuts with shells in it in that peanut butter. Okay, that's what the middle of the show kind of feels like. But you're still there because you're like, I need to finish this fucking peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? And then the ending is like, boy, howdy. I had that peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I am glad that I finished it. My hunger is satiated. It to- wasn't the best sandwich, but uh, there were parts of it that I liked, and I'm glad that it was done, and I'm glad that I ate it.
0: Uh, to me, it just left me feeling empty on the inside. Like, this isn't so much like looking at delicious peanut butter and tasting it only at shells in it. This is like taking out some peanut butter that's been sitting in the shelf for years and you think it's still good, but you taste it and it's just utterly rancid with maggots in it and everything just... Ugh. I'm glad that we have just
1: a few different ideas about the show that we're just like not agreeing about how great it is or I, anything I don't th- like that.
0: I don't think it's great at all. In fact, by the end, I was getting legitimately angry at it. To the point where the ending, which the show ends with a montage of everything that happens and Earth being reborn, like it's an even cheaper version to the ending of Wolf's Reign. I half expected Crow T-Robot to pop up and say, We
2: hope you've enjoyed No Moral Theater, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. The camera pulls back as if to say, Sorry about this, everyone. It's my fault. Sorry.
1: Honestly, though, I... (sighs) This is this is just something that I take out of out of the show just in
0: general. I would say that this show is like an even worse version of Captain Planet, but this is less Captain Planet and more like that Robot Chicken sketch of where Ted Turner cosplays as Captain Planet and goes around beating people up while yelling, Captain Planet. <laughs> That's what this show is.
1: Well. I, in, in a way, I kind of disagree, but I then again, I like stuff that ends up depressing and grimdark and things. Do I suggest this show? I would have to say, if you're curious enough to watch it, do it. If you want, if you are going for a full Bondi complete collection on DVD, like I am actually. I have like Brain Powered and uh, Ghost in the Shell, this... Uh, Gundam 008 uh Gundam You know what I'm talking about 8th MS team. I almost said 0080, but it was 8th MS team. So, you know, there's there's some merits there for me. Like I said, the animation, the soundtrack is wonderful. At least take it for that. So I know Nate, you weren't a big fan of it, but there's there's things to love, there's things to hate, and overall it's really not that bad, but I'm glad I finally broke you. That's the that's the big thing about this episode is is taking the pride to know that we broke the boy. You certainly did. <laughs> it's an interesting snapshot of a lot of great key care, uh, a lot of great creators getting together, making something that looks really good. That sounds really good. It does miss the mark, but at 13 episodes, it's, I don't know I'm glad I will say this guys I don't know if uh, a lot of our listeners are mutuals with us on Facebook or with me on Facebook you guys can check out my socials I have actually bragged that I broke the boy I was finding an anime to break the boy we broke our boy Nate. I thought it was going to be brain-powered. I thought it was going to be Daphne and the Brilliant Blue. Heck, it still probably could be brain-powered. That breaks our boy again. But the last good amount of reviews of things that I've chosen were things from the early 2000s when I was getting out of anime that I remembered that I somewhat liked, that I go back with a fresh mind, with a more mature mind, and go, there are merits to these things. Daphne and the Brilliant Blue, it's dumb fun. If you don't take it serious, it's dumb fun. But I thought I was going to break you with it, because sometimes you're just like, story, story, story. And you really kind of, like, get a little too serious about it. But
0: I think I finally broke—admit it, I broke you. You did. Like, you thought you were going to do it with (laughs) Daphne and the Brilliant Blue, but honestly, I kind of like Daphne and the Brilliant Blue. The worst thing that I could say about Daphne and the Brilliant Blue— was that it was derivative and uninspired at points, but there was enough charm there where I enjoyed parts of it. It's not a bad show. This, though, is just... eh. Daphne and the Brilliant Blue is
1: kind of like one of those... I forget the director that did a lot of those uh, bikini girls in machine guns movies in the 80s, but there was... The uh, Onichanbara movies? No, 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 I'm talking about American movies. So like the one of the biggest examples would be um, I just watched a video about it. So I'm just trying to think there was one hard ticket to Hawaii. Let me look this up. Yeah. So hard ticket to Hawaii when we go back and and we are talking about uh, because I did bring that up in the initial review and I thought I wanted to do an addendum and have a little fun with it. But yeah, the bikini girls and machine guns is basically like hard ticket to Hawaii. That's just like dumb fun. And there's a there's like a whole series of movies that uh that one director did. If you Andy look up Andy Sidaris. Uh, Andy Sidaris. Yeah, he did a bunch of, you know, Bikini Girls and Machine Guns movies. And that's what Daphne and the Brilliant Blue is. And I forgot to bring that up because it's like I haven't I haven't even thought about Andy Sidaris movies in years because it was just one of those things where it's like, eh, you know, you get them from the video store when you're a kid and a teenager and you go, Ooh, boobies. (laughs) My tastes are more refined now.
0: Anyway, (laughs) that does it for earth girl. Arjuna. Kawamori had good intentions when he made this. And there are parts of Arjuna I think had potential to be truly good, but the result outside of it's good animation and excellent Yoko Kano soundtrack is an annoying frustrating mess that feels more intent on making the viewer feel bad and uncomfortable lecturing them about how they're destroying the environment because they rely too much on convenience and above all else they destroy the environment because we exist it's a show that feels vacant of anything resembling hope and above all else it's just not fun like this is a chore to get through there are some moments where it is funny albeit unintentionally funny but i cannot recommend this in good faith i was intending on buying the dvds but seeing how what some of the sellers wanted like 40 bucks for the complete set i just went no it's not worth it i did watch it in tubi but if you're gonna watch it on tubi fair warning the quality is not great. It's clear that they just ripped it from the DVDs in the most compressed, dot crawl tastic footage you can think of. It's just not the best viewing experience on Tubi. But hey, you don't have to pay for it. You just gotta watch a few crappy ads for things like BetMGM and Bob's Discount Furniture.
1: And don't forget also that uh, that false hope of those uh, gambling websites. That's another thing we watch. We watch a lot of Tubi in this household,
0: and Taco Bell. Don't forget the Taco Bell ads. Oh, you guys get the
1: Taco Bell ads. Jeez, the perfect
0: justification you. over that uh, hamburger episode. <laughs> so, I feel bad for you
1: because when I when I got my Arjuna set, pro- God, at least years and years ago, I was happy to get it because it was just cheap. It, I probably spent at most 15 bucks for it to get it and i think that that's very fair for four for four discs even if it's a series that's 13 episodes there's there's some there's some good aspects to the special features that i have to say the kawamori interviews if you're into that um seeing maggie maggie o'hara and brad swale being very awkward because when they interview Brad Swale this is another thing too, when they interview Brad Swale they talk more about Gundam and they talk about more of the fact that one of the first times that he ever read Feramuro, Tomino was there watching him and he looked really pissed off and then at the end of it he clapped <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: and uh, basically you know, Brad Swale is talking about just being completely stressed out and when he talked about Arjuna, he really didn't bring up a lot of the characters. He said the show was very pretty. He said that uh, the the dialogue he just had to get through, and he did it. The thing with Ma- Maggie though is like Maggie was like really getting, eventually, even though she was very sleepy throughout her performance she actually brought up the fact that she liked a lot of what the show was going for and uh what the show was kind of like she was picking up what they were putting down
0: yeah i wouldn't recommend buying arjuna on dvd if you can't get it cheap and the dvds are getting harder and harder to find considering that it's out of print so like i just came back from colossal con east and somebody was selling two of the arjuna dvds for like three bucks a pop I'd say, like, if you can get the discs on average for, like, five bucks, that's a fair price. But otherwise, stay away from this show. So, uh, before we finish, uh Race, plug your stuff.
1: <laughs> well, I didn't really get a chance to really say my thoughts. So, Race, uh, before we go, plug your stuff. All right. So, I am RacerX online. You can go to link tr. uh, And you can find a lot of my links there. I stream on Twitch every so often. We change our schedule a lot lately just because there's a lot of things happening there. Uh, My YouTube channel is a lot more active these days. Right now I'm doing a full playthrough of Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom with a lot of fun. I actually did bring up in a few of the episodes that uh, I broke the boy, I broke Nate um you can also check me out i dj in person and on twitch and on kick so check my socials definitely check my socials there i am an ambassador these days now a vinyl ambassador for a lot of uh for a goth and post-punk kind of dark alternative website called sounds and shadows i am i've been setting up events so my online presence Hasn't exactly been that big lately, just because I've been doing a lot of behind the scenes work and uh, just just changing a few things. Still have time for anime here and there, but uh, a lot of things have just been changing kind of in my online presence. So I really appreciate everybody who has
0: stuck around throughout a lot of the changes too. And you can find me on social media at Otaku Nate Show on Twitter and Facebook, and Nate Tendo on Instagram. I recently went to ColossalCon East and took some photos there, and uh, you can find all 400 plus photos I took on Facebook, on my public profile, and on my Flickr account. Yes, I actually pay for a premium Flickr account, because I take a lot of photos at all these conventions, and I need one convenient place to upload them in bulk. I am a boomer.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, I didn't realize you lived in 2008.
0: If you like this show, please give us a like, leave us a review, follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, Apple and Google Podcasts, any place you get your podcasts from. <sighs> well, next time on the Otaku Nate Show, we kind of had a little back and forth on Earth Girl Arjuna. And I thought the show was pretty bad, but, you know, things can't get worse from here on out, right? Well, it turns out, it can get worse because have you ever wanted a certain piece of media to exist like a certain kind of anime that has an idea behind it that you really want to see animated brought to life that you go to panels at conventions asking for this anime to the panelists time and time again asking where is this anime that i want that i want to see so badly and then that anime is finally made, and it is the most offensive thing you have ever seen? Well, you're gonna find that out next time as we sharpen our blades, take our sticks, and look at the sheer, utter fail that is Pride of
1: Orange. So, I have a cool one question about Pride of Orange. Is it basically the Mighty Ducks with cute little anime girls? I wish. Maybe that's what you should have asked for. See, the thing is, and one last thought, because we always have to have that last Racer X quip, you should have asked all of these creators. You should watch the Mighty Ducks movies. You should have you should have done that. That's that's where you failed. You should have said, "I want a hockey sports anime, but I want it like the Mighty Ducks." You brought this hell upon yourself,
0: Nate, and you know it. Yes, I did. So until then, this is Otaku Nate and this is Racer X, and we're signing off and saying, "The power is yours."